Hi, I'm Keegan, and this is A Bunch of Gamers. We're doing GM Talks, and uh, I'm calling this one the Obligatory Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood Review and Talk. And this is really more of me talking to myself and anyone who bothers to listen. But I want to talk about Earthblood. I had some thoughts about it, and I wanted to break it down. So this recording will be full of spoilers for Earthblood, so if you're really into the idea of playing this game and discovering its secrets and its plot, then just stop listening here, come back once you've done that, or if the curiosity is too great for you to not hear my opinion on it. First thing is, is I thought the gameplay didn't really work for a werewolf game. I thought the cell sections were okay, the beat-em-up was fine, whatever. Earthblood does a couple of interesting things, one of the ones being that it really simplifies the lore for new people, all while throwing a lot of references at the audience as kind of like a not-so-subtle wink to people who've played the tabletop before. So, and purely complaining about this game isn't really interesting to me, and I'm sure it's not very interesting to listen to. So what I want to do is I want to talk about this game and what we as storytellers who run Werewolf the Apocalypse can learn from it, Earthblood, and what we could take away, the positives, and what we can take away, the negatives. Now, given the nature of how I feel about Earthblood, I will admit that a lot more of it will be negative takeaways than positive takeaways, but that doesn't mean that those aren't valuable insights and that we haven't made these mistakes before while running the game. So, my first thing is with the intro, and let's listen to this. The Wild. The Weaver. And the Worm. Three primal forces from which the world, Gaia, springs. Okay, so that's the first bit of lore that they throw at new players. Now the interesting thing is, is that, that is, there is precedent for that in the games. However, most of the games changing breeds view that way. So the Garu are actually very Gaia-centric and Garu belief is that Gaia created the Worm Weaver and Wild, not the other way around. And that's something you can play with. Uh, a lot of the Pharah, including the Snake Changers, the spider changers and the cat changers believe that it is the worm weaver and wild that created Gaia. I think it is the Guru, the Gorel or Werebears, and the Macaulay, which are basically just were dinosaurs, believe in a Gaia-centric view. But as storytellers, you what you can do is you could implement something like this in your games where some guru believe the reverse and so what you can do is implement sort of a challenge right where one believer of this sort of metaphysical worldview of who created what is asking you to convince his rival of the opposite and that could be a good third right of passage but let's, uh, let's kind of continue on and keep hearing how this opening goes. I'm not going to do this for every major point in the game, but I thought this was important. And at, when I first played this, I thought that the... Or when I started playing this, I thought this voice 
over was actually supposed to be Gaia, but I'm listening to it again. I'm pretty sure it's Onawa, who is implied to be a third later on in the game, and we will get to her. So let's continue on hearing what she's got to say. The wild is creation, formless and abundant. The weaver shapes, making order out of chaos. The worm, whose purpose was to destroy the old, to make room for the new went mad. Now, a force of corruption feeding on greed, malice, and hate. It ravages Gaia through its unwitting accomplices. This misses a bit, which is fine. This game is supposed to be oversimplified, but the worm got corrupted. We all know that the worm was captured by the weaver, and so this is kind of a thing that a lot of storytellers miss, and I am no exception to this as I have done it before, is the worm is only able to work through the weaver, which is form, because it is tied to her. She has overstepped her bounds and done that. So when you see things like the screen was trying to show like ecological damage and showing off all this like pollution, and things like that. That is a form that the worm takes, but what this this game misses, and a lot of storytellers miss, is that it associates the wild, spelled with a Y, with nature, and that is not the case. The wild is just the creative energies. Wild unbound is formless creativity. It is mania in its purest form, and a lot of uh, White Wolf's cosmology, especially Werewolf, is heavily in influenced by Michael Moorcock and his Eternal Champion series, where you have law, chaos, and balance. And in those books, it's actually chaos that is the aggressor, typically, trying to destroy law. And then if chaos were to dominate, all things are possible at the same time, meaning nothing happens, and existence is essentially nothingness. Because everything exists for milliseconds at, at a time, all the time, maybe, versus law. If law took over, there's only one path, and the cosmic balance was supposed to balance those. The werewolf universe inverts that. It is that law has overstepped its bounds. Law is trying to destroy creativity, and law is trying to calcify all everything so everything goes into pure stasis and to do that you had to first stop the balance and destruction that destroyed those kinds of things so new things could come into play so the worm can also use pestilence because all things that exist in our world have some spark of the weaver in them because if they didn't they could not manifest form it's why Weaver spirits are so, or I'm sorry, wild spirits are so hard to run. Wild spirits are almost formless. They literally exist as creative energies. And so they are in, they exist as much as feelings as they do in sort of physical form. And that's where one, a lot of things, and especially new storytellers, is, is that they try and tie the worm to industrialization, which this does. 
and it kind of takes away, I think, some of the oomph of the worm because the worm is so much more, and it's gonna be that's harder to portray in the game because the worm is also the corruption of all ideals, love into possession, aspiration into envy, desire into greed. That's the worm. The worm is the absolute corruption of all things, including ideals, not necessarily just ecology. Though the worm does focus on that because the worm believes that if it can consume the totality of the world in the weaver's strands, it would have access to that same creative spark as the wild and would be able to reshape existence into a more balanced existence, or at least that's one take of it in the second edition Book of the Worm. Others say that it does that because if you stop new things from happening, you prevent something that could stop the utter hopelessness that the worm is trying to create. Anyway, let us continue on and see what happens next. Mankind, the balance between those three forces is long gone now. Insidiously, the worm gains more and more ground every day, vitalized by the damage humans have brought to the Earth. We, the werewolves, remain born of man, beast, and spirit. We are the vindication of Gaia and the wild. Last thing on that intro, only two tribes really claim to serve the wild and are its vindication. The Black Furies, which are an all-female tribe, and the Red Talons. And the Red Talons only do that because they believe the balance is so out of it. That they, they shun the Weaver because they hate humanity and they view humanity as the Weaver's favorite children, not the Worms. The... A lot of books, especially like Book of the Wild for Werewolf the Apocalypse and other and the Storyteller's Handbook for Revised Edition and others try and play up that the wild isn't the werewolf's friend. It is that the wild is something they have to protect, otherwise everything goes away that they care about, such as nature, for nature is messy and new things can come out of it which is abhorrent to the the weaver but they don't they don't serve it it's not their ally the wild is just as terrible the wild is storms the wild is raging chaos and if the wild is let loose in any sort of capacity it can be just as destructive as the weaver or the worm in any way shape or form and so trying to tie werewolves to the wild i think was a mistake Especially because that is a mistake new storytellers make in this game. What you should do is you should play up the beauty of the wild starting off. And as the characters start to grow and learn, they see that the wild is more of that. That you can't really be an ally to a cosmic force. A cosmic force is beyond you. It doesn't have your same values. It can't. It cannot think on a scale that you can think. And it works in a way that you cannot comprehend. The wild is 
the actual animistic concept of pure creation and pure chaos. The wild in some ways exists outside of linear time. The wild will produce things for the past and potentially even the future. The only reason it can't maybe is because the balance is still struck enough to where linear time exists in a way so that the wild is not that unbridled, but the wild exists beyond all of our concepts. The weaver is the same way. The weaver isn't just mathematics. The weaver, it believes and exists as stasis, as the perfection of what is there. The weaver cannot create anything new. The weaver can only build upon and improve what is there. So the weaver builds greater and stronger engines. The weaver is able to harness things. It is that sort of thing. It is the constant building towards that, but it cannot be in charge of any sort of social upheavals, even if those social upheavals are beneficial to the world at large, and maybe even the weaver itself, simply because that upheaval is a destruction. It is a new variable, and so the weaver cannot, the weaver cannot abide by that because... It's just not within its existence. And the worm has been corrupted so that the worm is now mad because it exists in our, in our world in some ways. The, the worm is caught within the weaver's machinations, which means that it can only act in certain ways versus before the worm could bring about destruction through essentially anything. But now it is limited and that's why there's corruption. It has to degrade the order of the weaver for there to be any semblance of endings. And its madness drives it to go beyond endings for new things to be born. Its machinations are for endings with no end and the ultimate void and possibly simply just a corrupt existence because if it destroys the weaver, there could be a fear within the worm that it will cease to exist as well. The game goes into my first kind of big issue, and that big issue is that they're starting Kahal as a veteran. And you can tell he's a bit of a veteran because the game doesn't do anything like trying to introduce a lot of the concepts of this world organically. You have to find things throughout Tarkin's Mill that's just lore that you read and then Kahal kind of comments on it going, yep, I know that. Which I think is not a great way to introduce people to the lore of Werewolf the Apocalypse, personally. But, you know, that's where it is. And so it tries to start us in Median Res, which, you know, makes sense. It gives us that kind of feeling to play around with the game, learn the mechanics. That's just video game shit, so I'm not too hurt by that now so the game does something where in werewolf you have something called a karen which the game does define which is a spiritually strong place with great spirits that guard it in werewolf the tabletop what gets built around these karens is something called a sept a sept is essentially a militarized organization of werewolves and kinfolk who have dedicated themselves to the preservation of a Karen. So the Karen is the place and a sept is the 
organization and the society that is built around it. And then it goes a step further and then it has packs. Now packs are smaller units of werewolves who have joined together in a common cause and they bind themselves to a totem spirit, just as the sept is bound to a totem spirit. What this game does is it simplifies that and the sept concept is gone and now a pack is a group of werewolves that defend a sept and they are all guided by one spirit rather than multiple spirits with conflicting agendas, which for an introductory game makes a whole lot of sense, but for people who are used to the lore, it might seem strange or even off-putting when you start putting that together. There's also a character at this point called Rafik, who is in his lupus form, which is the wolf form, and the game seems to imply that he is lupus-born and that his wolf form is his preferred form. The game does not tell us really about lupus-born werewolves until later on when you get to the Red Talon pack, and that seems kind of off. The other thing is that this game brings up the werewolf tribes, but it doesn't explicitly say what they are. The game hints that Cahal's ancestors came from Ireland because he is of the tribe Fianna. And the Fianna tend to come from Ireland. They are from Celtic stock, which means there are other Fianna cultures across Europe. The revised edition tribes book tries to kind of push that and says that the Irish werewolf culture is the only one that caught him because that's the only one that hasn't really been invaded by other werewolves and thus harmed by kind of conquest. And then Rotko, who is the pack leader or the alpha, is a silver fang. And they straight up say he's a silver fang because of, once again, a random piece of lore that you find. He also has silver hair, which is a trait of the silver fangs. They have a high trait of something called pure breeding, which means that they've had members of their family join the same tribe for generation after generation after generation, cultivating a connection to their tribal totem. So it's another totem. And so there are 13 canonical Gaian tribes and one worm tribe, which is a black spiral dancer. They never really say that they, they're the worm tribe. They, you just fight one and, and, and Kahal goes, Black Spiral Dancer, oh no, and then you fight him. And it's actually an entertaining fight. It's probably the first time I really had fun with the combat just because I could dodge and it didn't feel useless. Anyway, so the game drops a lot of that kind of nuance because to make, to make it more simple for players. And I can appreciate that. I think that makes sense if you're going to have to start with Kahal being a higher rank werewolf. And I suspect he is Adrian, which is the third out of fifth ranks of werewolf, because after you gain enough experience and buy enough perks, you earn the trophy Athro, which is the fourth rank. And then once you've put in enough for some more skills, then you earn the, rank, uh, the trophy Elder which is the fifth rank. So that's a big part of it. Now I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit and have you listen in on this little bit here where Kahal enters a frenzy because his wife was killed, which makes sense, and he enters what is 
presumably Thrall the Worm because he attacks his own pack mates, though that could just mean that he has higher rage than his gnosis. More stuff from the tabletop. But let's listen and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. Listen to me! Oh, damn it! No. You need to fight the rage. Let's refuse! Stop it! No! What have I done? Rafik, there's no time to- Okay, so I wanted to call that out specifically. Rafik attacked Kahal in his lupus form, maybe his hispo form. The game doesn't actually show that, so we have to assume it was his lupus form. And Rotko stayed his Hamid form, all while Kahal is in raging Krynos Wolfman form, trying to kill both of them. Now, I've been running this game for a long time. I have been, I've had, for on and off, maybe 10 years with various different groups of varying different experience levels. All of them come to the same conclusion when someone frenzies. They all shift into Krynos and just hold them down. I know that's not dramatic in the game sense, but I just thought it was funny enough to mention. Why did they not change into their wolf form, wolfman forms to avoid getting got by Kahal. That seems like a bad choice. But anyway, I'm gonna try and... Like I said, a lot of this game does things to be newbie inclusive and a uh, major spoiler, I guess, if you didn't put it together, but this game does not really introduce any of the other subsidiaries of Pentex directly. It is just Endron. And that is a great choice. That's one of the best choices this does. This is actually one of the best choices for players in this game. What you want to do is if you're running a Pentex Heavy Chronicle, especially, is either use real company names, or if you're recording like us, give everyone a fake company name so you don't tip your hat on, that's a fake company name, guess it's Pentex to your players. And what you do is you introduce one subsidiary, you show how bad they are, you see that they have like Fomori working from, for them in the side gigs, kind of things like that, to where they're, they're working and it's obvious they've had to talk to someone, but enough to kind of raise the hackles on your players. And then you keep introducing more and more and more. And then you find out that maybe they're buying exclusively from another company and they start investigating those companies like Endron should not be producing its own silver bullets. Endron should be buying silver bullets, which then leads characters to the question, who's providing silver bullets in mass to other companies? Because that suggests this company is also aware of the guru. So you do that and then they investigate that and then they find a shell company and that shell company doesn't really have a whole lot, and then they start investigating more, and they find maybe another company that does other things tangentially related that you also noticed those Endron employees had on, and then you investigate further, and then you get high enough to where you see that they both have a shell company in common, and then you get up high enough, and then after a bit, the Chronicle finally reveals the existence of Pentex, this 
corporate cabal of business tycoons who are ideally the only ones really aware of what the worm is. What I usually do in a lot of games is, is especially with Fomori and things like that, they lie to them. They lie to them and tell them that they're actually part of a super soldier pro program and that once, you know, they are taken in, they will be given provisions, their families will be taken care of, etc., etc., but they have signed their life away to the company. They are product now, and they have to sign an NDA to prevent themselves from not spilling the beans that they are, in fact, product. And then you spin it to where they make them believe that the werewolves are also super soldiers created by Pentex and that they simply went rogue and now you have a bunch of rogue self-perpetuating super soldiers in the general populace and the black spiral dancers are the ones of that line that have not gone rogue yet you play it up that way then you have a lot of fun with it you have fun with the idea that it's a mystery and it's espionage, and it adds a nice bit of investigative flavor to your game so it's not just sneak around, beat em up. But that is one of the things this game does very well, is Endron is the sole subsidiary. So I do appreciate that. All right, let's go ahead, and I'm gonna show some, I'm gonna show an example of what I meant by this game seems to drop a lot of references for Werewolf the Apocalypse fans. I'm not gonna put it up in the video or anything like that, but there's always a billboard to something called King's Distillery, which is another Pentex subsidiary. It's kind of the Budweiser, Miller Lite, Coors ripoff where it promotes binge drinking, things like that, getting alcohol in the hands of people who shouldn't, getting children to drink excessively and without parental supervision to get people to drive drunk, to really play up the party culture so that people don't have a healthy relationship with alcohol. And then this, you just have to listen to NPCs in the background, but it feels so ham-fisted, and that just might be the voice acting in this game. But they do make a reference to Magadon as just a side character when eco-terrorists are just hanging around going, yeah, they're making natural supplements, but we all know they're full of chemicals that are avoiding regulations, so we have to blow them up too. And it's just ham-fisted, very ham-fisted. It's just like a, why is this reference? It never comes up in the game again. And so my only guess there is it was a nod to more experienced players when you've already dumbed down so much for the new people, trying to throw all this stuff for the wider world seems counterproductive. So as you go along in the game, you end up coming across your Rodko later on in the game, who is essentially at this point discount Jonas Albrecht, a canon NPC character from the books who is a silver fang with an eye patch who got it cut out in a fight. So I know that sounds familiar. But Rotko goes full thrall the worm like murdering people just like Cahal did. And then so you got to fight him and then this happens. They've 
taken her. I'm sorry. I... I could not resist my rage. I know, my friend. No one could blame you. <clears throat> She's all that's left of my sister. So, okay. When a werewolf frenzies, and it happens very frequently in the tabletop, they have two ways of frenzying. One is regular frenzy, in which you can actually spend a point of willpower to try and avoid. And frenzy just means that you don't take any wound penalties, you're savage, you're angry, you're going to kill every motherfucker who looks at you. Uh, and the game has a mechanic where if you have your trait rage as equal to or less than another trait called gnosis, you won't turn on your own pack mates. If it's higher, then everyone's fair game. But the other one is called Thrall of the Worm. Now, the game is pretty unclear if you still attack your pack mates or not. I always rule that you do in my own game since it's such an uncontrollable fury. And what happens is, is that each breed of werewolf, whether they're human-born, wolf-born, or born of two werewolves, which this game doesn't present any metis either, which is probably fine. Metis can be controversial, and rightfully so, in my opinion, in some cases. But each one has a different thing that it does for Thrall the Worm. Humans, if you kill someone, you got to roll your willpower, and if you botch it, which is roll no successes and roll a single one, you stop what you're doing, and you start eating your last victim, and you have to eat your fill before you can keep fighting. If you're wolf-born, you rip them apart, things like that, and the medicine one I house rule. And that's kind of how the game works. So if people in my games died as frequently as people in these games did to throw the worm, I would not have any players left. They'd have to make another character every other session, and that's boring and annoying. So I just take issue with that. It's around this time that the game shows off its Fomori antagonists, and it doesn't do anything to really explain them. It shows in the narrative that people are getting injected pretty early on. If you use your penumbral sight in-game, which means that you can get a glimpse into the spirit world, you see this kind of dark shadow rolling around in them. But the game, because it's so divorced from the spirit world to be more newbie-friendly and to fit into the gameplay that it had doesn't really explain Banes, which are just spirits of the worm. They're spirits of murder, hate, corruption, things like that. And then they bind themselves to a human soul. And that is what mutates the human into a monstrosity. The game doesn't really explain that. It doesn't even really call them Fomori, which seems odd since Kahal is a Fianna, and the Fianna are the tribe that named them such based on one of their legends. So dropping that ball seems kind of weird. And then the game doesn't actually say what a bane is until much later on. It doesn't explain what a bane is, it just name drops it. So that's one of those things that I mentioned earlier where I'm not sure what this game's doing because it keeps cutting out a lot of lore to be newbie friendly but then just introduces concepts as if the player base is supposed to be familiar with it already. So then you go into the prison, which that is something I think was, was mishandled. I don't think Endron should have owned the prison. I think Endron should have been leasing 
the prison. You lease the prison, and then that would be a potential story thread for storytellers to lead their players down to another Pentex subsidiary. But an oil company owning a prison is just very Captain Planet-y and very 2000s kind of cheese. And as much as I like cheese in a lot of things, I just uh, was not feeling it here. Oh, I... I'd already forgotten, but there's another werewolf in this game who's already shown up named Ava. And Ava has admitted she's not a warrior, which suggests she's not Narun. The game never actually outright tells you how the werewolf auspice system works. All you, you know is through the Gaia edition of the game is you can get an Arun jacket or Arun symbol jacket. But unless you already know what that is, that's worthless and definitely not worth 10 extra dollars. And so werewolves are, they're essentially their role in society is determined based on the sign of the moon that they're born under. If you're born under a full moon like Ahal was, you are an Arun, which means you are a warrior caste. If you're born under the Gibeous moon, you're a Galliard, which means you're like a bard, a singer, a tail singer, secondary warrior, all in one. You have a lot of powers that are supposed to to distract and draw away and demoralize your enemies while increasing the rage or the willpower or the, f the desire to fight of your side. Philodoxes, which are under the half moon, are judges and law keepers. They're the ones who order werewolf society. They're the ones who keep the laws. They're the ones who punish those who break werewolf laws. And then you have the crescent moons, which are the theurges, which are the spirit talkers, the mystics. They perform many of the rites. They have direct contact with the spirits all the time. And in the game, you can step sideways and enter the umbra versus just the one fight against tank girl where that happens in this game. And anyway, Thurges are the spirit keepers. They are the ones who do a lot of the spiritual stuff to keep spirits healthy and to utilize them in the Garu's war against the worm. And then finally you have Ragabosh, which are the questioner of ways. They are the ones who are supposed to be able to prank exist or prank werewolves on their side and poke holes in their plan so they think things through more. And they are there to sneak up and steal from their enemies and be scouts. That's just something else I had thought about. So anyway, in the game, you go forward and you end up in a prison. In this prison is when you rescue Onawa. Onawa is the only Hamid of her pack, and the rest of it are all dedicated. Uh, all the other pack members are Red Talons and thus Lupus-born. But Onawa is Hamidborn, and she admits that she was part of the Uktena, and then it kind of implies she transitioned into becoming a Red Talon, thanks to her connection to their their totem spirit, their, their pack totem. And there is precedent for this once again in the books. In the Red Talon's revised book, there is a legend brought up just briefly about a Hamid Red Talon and how it would be a final sign of the apocalypse. So just to drop that in willy-nilly seems odd. Also, the fact that the Red Talons don't keep spiritual 
don't keep the spiritual health of their Karen as a priority strikes me as odd. They're one of the tribes that prioritizes that. And once again, this is where I'm wondering where the who this game is for. Because it's doing this kind of thing to subvert your expectations of what an Uktena and a Red Talon would do in this sort of situation to a bunch of people who were not given any sort of clue of what Uktena or Red Talons are, you know, stereotypically like in this world. And so that, that strikes me as odd because that seems to be, once again, kind of a nod and a nudge to the veteran players while leaving the new players going, okay, neat, question mark. So that just seems, strikes me as odd. The game continues, and you eventually are attacked by a Red Talon. And the Red Talon attacks you with Silver Claws, actually, which is a gift in the game. So hats off to that. It was probably an Arun Red Talon. Also, the only Lupus-born character that we fight, that we know is Lupus-born, that we fight in-game in Krynos. When you return to confront Onawa, she is in Krynos, and all the other Red Talons remain in Lupus form for the purpose of fair play, is all I can assume. And you defeat the Totem Spirit in this, and Onawa admits that her connection to the Spirit is what drove it to corruption. And a part of me just went so frenzying and going through all of the worm is punishable by death but corrupting an entire karen spirit is a-okay and no harm no foul he'll be back in a few decades don't do that in your game it will certainly take away from the sort of feel and look of the game i promise you I need to take a few steps back, actually. So what happened was, is after you'd fought that Red Talon up on the Endron building, they released their quote-unquote Earthblood serum, which is a cool idea. What it is is that they've been using biofuel that they refine, or they call it biofuel so that they get around the whole green energy thing, and it releases toxins and things like that and makes people more susceptible to f possession from Banes to become Fomori in-game. And I think that's a cool idea. I don't think the game handled that well, and that's because just everyone it touched turned into a Fomori. And that just removed some of the subtleties of it, and it just seemed, once again, over the top. And I know it was there to give you enemies, but I do think that was a plot point storytellers can draw from when running their own, once again, Pentex or Endron-focused werewolf game. Okay, so the game continues on. You go on, and then they do something cool. They do a Fomori that can only be created when a werewolf goes through its first change. That is actually a really cool idea. I wasn't really a fan of the Fomori they created with it, but I will admit that I think that is a good idea. It is a cool Endron-Pentex plot and kind of idea so i fully endorse that as something storytellers should pull from 
creating some sort of hyped up super worm werewolf that even black spirals would hate because the black spirals don't want to be pawns of humanity just as much as the guy in werewolves don't and so the game continues on and kahal finally defeats his giant scorpion daughter and then hey hey i'm here it's all right dad i'm here it hurts I don't want to die. I don't. Eighty. Eighty. Flame throw! Take cover! Call. Call. Can you hear me? are almost ready. But Indrin sent in reinforcements. We can't handle this alone. We need you, Kahal. Adana. She's... God. No. Watkins. Tell me where that son of a bitch is. Kahal, we might not make it. We need you here. Where's Watkins? He's on the roof of your building. Well, fuck, Kahal. If you're not gonna care about your daughter dying and scream and emote and channel rage or at least roll for frenzy then why the fuck should I? So I did the quote-unquote good ending where I helped my friends because well I didn't care about the kinfolk character. They did nothing to make me care about any of these characters. That is probably just a weakness of the game and starting you in median res. There is a way to manipulate your players into making the hard choice of what is right or what satisfies their emotional ends and gives them a sense of catharsis. So what this game did wasn't wrong. It just did it in a way that is completely uninteresting. Kahal and his daughter have no chemistry, no moments, no sort of deeper connection, just a couple dialogue trees. And that's a weakness of the video game medium to some degree, and I get that. But, you know, I had dialogue trees in Mass Effect 2 when I cared about every single character on that team. So, you know, at least make the voice actor shout, Tell me where that son of a bitch is. is just nothing for me. Anyway... That is kind of my lore breakdown and thoughts on this game. There are some good ideas in here. As I said, you can chase down, save your pack. They break the story, and when the story is broken, it the Endron vice president or the vi the Endron president goes into hiding, and Endron is scandalized, which means public opinion is now on the werewolf side, which is a good thing. And the bad ending is, is you get your revenge, but the concept and the notes of how to create the Fomori first change wolves is also partially lost, as is revealed. And it looks like a terrorist attack, and you still stopped the attack. There is something to be done there. How I've always described creating morally ambiguous situations is that each situation gives the players something they want 
but it excludes the other and it takes away something they care about. And that is how you make tough decisions. Putting your pack or your revenge is an interesting idea. Doesn't really work in a cooperative tabletop game, I feel, because if you betray all your friends at the table, they're going to look at you if you didn't talk about this beforehand and being like, you fucking dick. But it is a good. there are some ideas there. And if you want to play with that in the turn public opinion against Endron, but Endron gets the formula of how to make these kind of super werewolf famori, that's a good way of doing it. Because with public opinion on their side, then they're able to do more, get away with more. But now all their first change kin are at risk, or all their kin who haven't gone through their first change. So there are ideas here. There is ideas to play with, and I hope you play with them if you came to Werewolf the Apocalypse through Earthblood and you were interested in into the tabletop, or if you're into the tabletop, you played the game and you were a little disappointed, or even if you played the tabletop and you like this game. There are ideas to mine here, and there are ideas that you can see and see them not work, and then you know not to implement them in your game or to manipulate them so that they do work in your game. Anyway, uh, I'm Keegan. This is A Bunch of Gamers. This is our episode of GM Talks, and we will catch you next time. Bye.